Hi, this is Scott Hertzberg, President-Elect of the California State Rural Health Association. In support of National Rural Health Day 2021, the CSRHA has curated together insightful episodes from the This is Rural Health podcast. Now, what is National Rural Health Day? Well, since 2011, the National Organization of State Offices of Rural Health, the 50 state offices of rural health, and rural health stakeholders from across the country have set aside the third Thursday of November to celebrate National Rural Health Day. This day promotes the power of rural, which brings much-needed attention to the ongoing efforts to communicate, educate, collaborate, and innovate to improve the health of an estimated 57 million rural Americans. Over the years, National Rural Health Day has transformed from a day-long event to a sustainable movement. To learn more, visit powerofrural.org. To learn more about the CSRHA, you can visit our website at csrha.org. Thank you, and enjoy this special series celebrating National Rural Health Day on November 18th. Welcome to This is Rural Health, a podcast from the California State Rural Health Association. The CSRHA is focused on ensuring that the needs and voices of rural Californians are expressed and heard, and is continually working toward improving the quality and length of life of rural Californians. This podcast brings together leaders in rural healthcare with policy advisors, community leaders, and other forward thinkers to gain a better understanding of what's happening across today's rural healthcare ecosystem. Each week, you'll hear the unique perspectives of industry and community leaders and how they're finding innovative solutions to the challenges of a rapidly changing and increasingly complex healthcare industry. Hi, everybody. Welcome to This is Rural Health the official podcast of the California State Rural Health Association. My name is Michelle Schneider. I'm the executive director of the Western Los Angeles Dental Society and Foundation and the California State Rural Health Association board secretary. Today, I'm joined with Heather. Thank you. I am a dentist and also the president of the California State Rural Health Association. Thank you, Heather. And today in this episode, we interviewed Mary McCune, a policy director with the California Dental Association, and Zach Corbo, who is the associate legislative advocate for the California Dental Association. For those who don't know, June is Oral Health Month, and we wanted to talk to the oral health experts for California. The California Dental Association has been around for 150 years. And a fun fact I learned today, one in seven dentists in the United States are located in California. So we unpacked a lot today, didn't we, Heather? Absolutely. It was also great hearing how in 2020, we really weathered this storm with COVID-19. And coming in 2021, the industry is really coming back. And I really enjoyed hearing about how the Office of Oral Health is stepping up to the challenge to really accommodate the pent-up demand. Absolutely. And with the state budget hopefully being approved soon and things like CalAIM, which is putting a huge investment into medical and dental care, we have a lot of things to look forward to, but we also have a long way to go when it comes to education on the patient side of offices and rebuilding these small businesses that many dentists experience insurance and everything else. So I think everyone's going to learn a lot today with our friends from the California Dental Association. And without further ado, here's our conversation. Well, it's June and June is Oral Health Month. And because of that, we are very proud 
to introduce two people from the California Dental Association to talk about oral health and all things dental happening in the great state of California. So will each of our guests please introduce themselves? Hi, my name is Mary McCune, and I am the policy director at the California Dental Association. Hello, I'm Zachary Corbo, Associate Legislative Advocate at the California Dental Association. Welcome. We are so happy to have both of you. And just for our listeners, can you tell us a little bit about what the CDA does, who it helps, just a a bit of the, the long established history of the organization? Sure. So California Dental Association is basically a trade association that represents all of the licensed dentists in California. And since we are membership based, we have about 27,000 members. And in the entire state, there's around 36,000 licensed dentists. And so taking a step back, that's about one in every seven licensed dentists in the entire nation is actually a member of California Dental Association. And so we've been around for around, we actually just celebrated our 150th year. And we provide a whole suite of resources and support for dentists and patients alike, really. Um, Anything from providing practice support or advocacy for emerging issues in the profession, also advocacy for increased access to oral health care throughout the state as well, and serving as uh, great partners with those who are working in, around, and benefiting from the Medi-Cal dental program in the state. Thank you, and happy anniversary. 150 years is quite impressive. At the time of this recording, the California state budget is still not finalized. What's the current state of legislative proposals that impact the dental community in the current budget? Yeah, absolutely. Happy to talk about the state budget. And as you mentioned, it has not yet been signed. Just this last week, the legislature essentially presented their version of the budget. And if we were having this conversation six, seven, eight years ago, we would have been in a very different place. This was at the time, several really critical audits from the state auditor, the little Hoover commission. There was at a time, no adult benefit in Medi-Cal Dental, and even when it was restored, it was only partially restored, and there was a 10% provider rate reduction. Five, 10, six years ago, it was a whole different world in Medi-Cal Dental and the state budget as a whole. So we are incredibly pleased and frankly excited with some of the prospects in this budget. Some of the things I'd like to highlight are the CalAIM, or California Advancing and Innovating Medi-Cal, It's this really revolutionary initiative that was actually discussed and originally proposed in January of 2020, however, was delayed due to the coronavirus and is now slated to really begin a multi-year effort in January of 2022. And the dental component is really exciting. We're anticipating a $113 million investment above and beyond what was already in the Medi-Cal program. And they're continuing some of the major successes from the Dental Transformation Initiative, which was this multi-year study to look at various aspects of Medi-Cal Dental and how you can improve provision of services, something like additional pay for performance incentives for preventative services, the use of silver diamine fluoride in certain cases, the continuity of care and caries risk assessments were all studied as a part of DTI. And because they were successful, the state has opted to continue them on in a more permanent fashion and add them as a new dental benefit. So we're really excited because for years and years, the Medi-Cal dental program has really been, I mean, to be frank, it was almost embarrassing for a series of years and providers were really skittish 
They didn't want to be a part of it. They were worried about reimbursement rates. They were worried about stability in the program. So the California Dental Association and the California Medical Association, along with other advocates, really pushed in 2016 for Prop 56, which is a state tobacco tax. And the revenue from this has really generated better stability in the program, which has led more and more dental providers to join the program. So since 2016, 1,900 new dental providers have joined the program, which is really exciting. Uh, Like I said, it's been a trend, a decades-long trend that providers were not interested in the program, they were fearful of the stability, and maybe they would join for a couple of years and then really not like it and then have to leave, which leaves their patients in sort of this awkward position. So we're very excited for CalAIM. It's really bringing up provider rates to, in some cases, 80% of average commercial And we've heard anecdotally that the rates are almost as good as some plans, some commercial plans, which is really exciting for providers and even more exciting for patients because as a provider gets more comfortable with Medi-Cal and the provider rates are in a better position, they're able to see more Medi-Cal patients within their patient mix. Most providers opt for a percentage between commercial pay and Medi-Cal. That way they can keep their business strong. And if the provider rates in Medi-Cal aren't very high, then Medi-Cal providers can't take as many patients and remain financially sound. So as the rates come up, their patient mix can be adjusted. Maybe they can see 30 or 40% Medi-Cal as opposed to 15 or 20 that they've seen over the last series of years. So like I said, the CalAIM initiative is really exciting. It was unfortunate that it was delayed just a single year. And we're really looking forward to this continued partnership with the Department of Healthcare Services. They're putting a lot of effort into this program, and we hope over the next series of years it'll lead to some major improvements. And one of the other areas I wanted to mention is the Office of Oral Health. And this is a program within the California Department of Public Health. For years, California did not have a state dental director. And with the passage of Prop 56, the state was able to fund in a more permanent fashion a state dental director, and he has the Office of Oral Health team within his sphere of influence. And they do a number of really great programs. Actually, a good chunk of their funding, more than half of it, goes to local health jurisdictions to implement various disease prevention programs and interventions within their local communities. So it's it's not as though all the funding that is going to the state entity stays at the state. We're very excited to see much of it go to local jurisdictions. And some of the programs that they are a part of and run is the kindergarten oral health assessment, which ensures that kindergarten age children are screened for dental disease and they are routed to care or referred to care if necessary. And that's really, you know, the the prevalence of preventable and chronic childhood dental disease is pretty staggering. It's one of the leading causes of missed school days. And if these children can be screened and shown the importance of dental health care in kindergarten, along with their parents and guardians from the get-go, we're hoping to see greater and greater going to the dentist when they get older and understanding the importance of oral health. The Office of Oral Health also really works collaboratively with a lot of the local oral health programs, um, along with uh, Medi-Cal Dental. The Smile California campaign is meant to increase awareness and importance, increase awareness of uh, the dental benefits that Medi-Cal members have. There's sometimes some confusion amongst Medi-Cal members that they 
think, okay, Medi-Cal is only medical and I don't have any dental benefits. But in fact, it's a pretty significant scope of services that Medi-Cal members are uh, entitled to and a pretty robust provider network, though we'd like it to be more and more robust. And we're hoping with these increased rates and the better stability it will be. So Smile California is meant to just remind everyone, you have Medi-Cal benefits and you have Medi-Cal dental benefits. And that's something that the Office of Oral Health has been collaborating with uh, Department of Healthcare Services on. So I could go on and on about some of the really exciting things we're seeing in the budget this year, above and beyond the various supports that are available for small businesses. I think it's sometimes lost on people that your average dental practice is a small business. And for the majority of dental practices, it's just a single dentist providing care along with their team, and they are a small business. So it's been a rough year for them, as it has been for most businesses in California. So we're very excited to see the governor and the legislature take such a strong approach to supporting small businesses through this budget and through some early budget actions that have already been signed into law and are already providing benefit to small businesses. Really excited about the budget this year. We were a little concerned this time last year and even end of last year, projecting some pretty significant deficits. But with this $75 billion surplus, the state has really chosen to focus in on some really high priority areas and ones that the dental community is really excited about. Thank you. That's a lot of information. And it is very exciting, especially after what everyone's been through the past year to year and a half. Um, My colleague, Dr. Heather Hawkins, who's a dentist and the board president of the California State Rural Health Association, she has a question. Hi, thank you. Yes, it's not really a question. I just want to say thank you. I was part of the Dental Transformation Initiative and um, a fan of Silver Diamide and so pleased to hear that it's going to be part of the CalAIM program and that the Office of Oral Health is being so supportive of that. Uh, Silver Diamide and those preventative measures are a game changer for rural health dentistry. So hearing you say that is is just phenomenal and I'm really excited that that budget is increasing. So thank you for being advocates of that. Absolutely. I would say it's a revolutionary and new technique, but it is only new and revolutionary in Medi-Cal. There have been a number of other countries that have been using it for a long time, and I'm sure you're aware it's been around for decades and has proven successful for decades. And we are equally excited that certain populations within the Medi-Cal program will have access to this really neat and painless benefit. Yes, absolutely. I'm 100% supportive. So thank you for that. We referred to COVID-19 briefly, but obviously it has had a major impact in a number of different industries, including dental for the past year and a half. And in your opinion, how has the dental community rebounded and where do you see it going? Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, a rough year for dentistry. And unfortunately, we were actually seeing some staffing shortages pre-pandemic, there were uh, pretty significant challenges in certain areas of the state for uh, dental assistance and registered dental assistance. And for those that aren't really familiar with the staffing of a dental office, the DAs and the RDAs and the hygienists really do a lot of the core functions of a dental office. And the dentist and that dental team provide higher level care above and beyond your standard cleanings. So without 
dental assistance and registered dental assistance, less care can be provided in an office. So we are encouraged that the numbers are trending back in a good direction. It was a pretty significant closure for dental offices with a pretty significant drop in staffing percentages. Right now, the EDD data is showing that we're operating about 85% staffing capacity, which is exciting. However, still down about 21,000 total jobs compared to pre-pandemic levels. What we are hoping to see is some greater investment in workforce programs. The state has some funding in the governor's May revision to focus on workforce and the California Dental Association is hoping to be a beneficiary of some of that funding and really focus in on dental assistance and training registered dental assistants so that we can help stop some of these staffing issues we're seeing in certain areas. But what I'm hoping to see over the next series of years is I think the pandemic has shown us that we can't treat medicine in silos anymore. There's been this long-term structural setup within the medical community where you've got medicine over here, dentistry over there, mental health over there in all different buckets. And what I'm personally hoping to see over the the next series of years and potentially longer is a, a breaking down of some of those silos where we truly have integrated health across all disciplines. And maybe this concept of having a physician's office and a dental office and behavioral health, mental health, optometry, all in different physical places, that may become a thing of the past at some point. Or maybe that's just wishful thinking. I think there's also a lot to talk about in terms of how dental offices had to react to the initial stay-in-place quarantining um, at the onset of the pandemic. And really, I'd say between March and Beginning to mid-May, this is where, for the most part in California, dental offices were completely closed, you know, and it was during that time CDA was working very, very closely with the Department of Public Health and Cal OSHA and even the Office of Oral Health to really come together and create recommendations. And ultimately, there were published guidance on what dental offices needed to do in order to reopen. And if they were going to reopen, to what extent could they continue to provide care to their patients? And this was all during the same time that we were still trying to figure out what the heck COVID-19 was, how it was spread, if you got it, what did that mean, and you know how infectious you were. And so CDA actually co-chaired a work group with Dr. Kumar, who's the state oral health director, to create basically a task force that provided those recommendations, looked at the, the chair, the dental chair that you're actually sitting in, and trying to figure out what the typical dental services were provided, and if there was any aerosol that was generated from those procedures, and how to mitigate those. And then on top of that, what types of PPE would you have to, to wear to truly protect not only yourself and your, your dental team members, but also your patients as well? And And so through that work group, published a whole suite of resources that we titled Getting Back to Practice. And those included anywhere from very simple, easy to read charts, because I I also want to back up and say at the same time, there was a lot of guidance coming out from the federal and the state levels that were just very, very hard to read and, and hard to implement and understand, you know, what things overlapped or conflicted with another. Going back to the schoolhouse rock version of government, if you had CDC guidance coming out and you had conflicting Kalosha guidance and you had even more strict local health guidance, what were you supposed to do and how were you supposed to provide care? So we really focused in on providing dentists the right tools to really sort 
those things out. And so those resources are still up on our page. For the most part, there's a lot of those infection control and PPE guidances that are still in place. And we're we're actually at this point right now in the country and, and even at the state where we're trying to, we're waiting for, for new guidance as we're having increasingly more of our population vaccinated. What does that mean for the provision of care? And so we have this suite of resources still here. We're waiting, you know, on a day-by-day basis to see if CBC is going to come out with something dental specific. Cal OSHA is reviewing and, you know, there's nearly a new uh, headline about new Cal OSHA guidance every day at this point, trying to figure out how they're going to be balancing employee protections and employer protections, and also trying to figure out what a vaccinated population means and how how do we mitigate that against folks who are still hesitant or are unable to have the COVID vaccine at this point. Those are all amazing points, Mary. And as an executive director of a dental society, I can speak directly to all the resources the CDA has provided, trying to get dentists toward the top of the list to get vaccinated when the vaccines became available, helping with PPE and just navigating still the hesitancy if staff and patients don't want to get vaccinated and how that impacts the office and patient load and everything else. So it's obviously a moving target still, and we're all learning a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I just wanted to add that we're still hearing and seeing that patients are not returning to dental offices at the rate that we were hoping they would. And I think that's a number of reasons. The biggest one I would like to think is patients are are still fearful of receiving care in a setting. Maybe they're worried about the coronavirus transmission. But I can say definitively that dental offices have taken significant steps over the last 15, 16 months to really think about infection control. And arguably, dentists were some of the best experts in infection control prior to the pandemic, just given the type of work that they do. The control of aerosolized particulates was core to infection control practices within dental offices, but it's truly been an even greater step towards controlling those particulates, changing the type of procedures that are being done, additional engineering controls to capture those particulates before they land on any surfaces. And if they do, even greater efforts to sanitize those surfaces. So for anyone listening, your dental practice is a safe place to receive care. And we strongly encourage you to get your checkups. Absolutely. I personally have been back a few times already and feel extremely comfortable in my dentist's office. Can one of you talk about the importance of access to dental care and dental coverage? We talked about that a little, but specifically for those in rural communities. Sure, I can cover that. I think a a very loaded question. There's a a lot to unpack here. Taking a step back before COVID-19 or the pandemic really was an issue that we were dealing with, there is already disparities between communities and rural settings versus their metropolitan neighbors. And that had already resulted in disparities in how many providers are out in rural areas. And if there's not enough providers, that means you're probably not getting regular checkups. There's also an issue of oral health literacy and whether or not that patient truly understands the benefit or the importance of receiving regular oral health checkup. And then also there's a lot of socioeconomic factors, such as whether or not that person even has dental benefits, whether or not they can even afford dental care, or even smaller factors that have big impacts like 
does your job have the ability to give you the time to take off to go get a dental, to go see your dentist? Uh, do you have the transportation? How long will it take you to get to the dentist office? And so all of these problems definitely persist in metro areas, but to the extent that these challenges exist, they typically and statistically exist um, in higher proportions in these rural areas. And so as we're going through the pandemic, we're really seeing an importance of telehealth and how we can kind of expand access to care during these times of, especially when we're to stay in place, how can we best leverage our technologies appropriately without reducing the standard of practice that that folks who do receive in-person services receive. And so we're seeing that telehealth can be leveraged in various ways, whether it's consulting, whether it's using video chat, whether it's triaging, or even just education on how to, you know, do a, a profi for a, a pediatric patient. I think California was a little bit ahead in terms of our telehealth policies, but we've also seen a national movement towards, at the very least, these temporary expansions during the pandemic. And so we're hopeful that, this is more of a national perspective, but we're hopeful that, you know, the, the health outcomes that have derived from that temporary expansion can help kind of prove the point that teledentistry, when trying to expand access or trying to, you know, mitigate who's coming in and whether or not you have to come in immediately, can uh, be one of those changes that are here to stay. Additionally, there's, you know, a, a bunch of other ways that rural communities have been impacted. Zach touched on this a little bit, but the, the workforce shortages are definitely something that have exasperated in rural communities. And so, you know, we're hoping as dental offices have begun to open up and as the economy has begun to open up, and as we see, you know, folks like Kalosha who are really trying to figure out what the employment practices are going to be in this semi-post-vaccinated world, we're hopeful that these dental offices can slowly rebound and start to provide care not only to where they were before the pandemic, but also increase that to folks who are already having trouble uh, getting connected to dental homes in the first place before COVID-19 really took its course. So true. And we obviously still have a way to go with education and insurance and patient information, getting our workforce back, getting our offices back to full speed. Is there anything else you'd like our listeners to know about oral health in general or the California Dental Association? Well, um, if you guys want to keep connected, we'd highly recommend you guys to check out our website, www.cda.org. This is where we can have links to all of our social media platforms and also where you can keep in contact with us and keep up on the you know, everything that's happening on oral health, whether it's, you know, in a couple days, where we find the finalized budget to be any new initiatives that impact access to care. And especially right now, one thing that we didn't really touch on, but has been a, a huge thing in this pandemic is that as of right now, there's been a temporary expansion for dentists to provide vaccines. And we are there's currently legislation that we're sponsoring this year to permanently codify that so that dentists can not only provide your COVID-19 vaccine, but also your annual flu shot. So there's going to be a lot of, of information and resources to help dentists and their dental teams be able to be stronger advocates for vaccines, vaccine confidence, and also better integrate into a patient's overall health. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, Mary. I'm really excited about the prospect of dentists being able to offer, obviously, the coronavirus vaccine. It's incredibly timely. However, the annual influenza vaccine, I'm sure there's a certain percentage of the population that maybe sees their dentists more frequently than they see their primary care physician. So the opportunity for a dentist to remind their patients to 
receive a flu vaccine and being able to do it in office and not require the patient to go someplace else, I think is a is really exciting. And I look forward to the day where I am receiving my dental checkup and a profi and an oral health screening and also my flu shot. We're just going to get it all done in one visit. I'm already seated in the chair and I, I would trust my dentist to provide a flu vaccine and a COVID vaccine. And I really appreciate the convenience. And if it's more convenient, then patients are more likely to do it. And this is Heather, is Mac and Mary. I completely agree. You talked about getting out of the silos and getting out of the buckets and integrated health model. Well, what better way than to give the influenza vaccine or the COVID vaccine? I completely agree. That's a step in the right direction to really combine those buckets as you referred to. Well, we will see in the next year or so if the crystal ball, if all of our predictions come true, because it will be better for the dental community and the community overall. Thank you all so much. This was a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Yes. Thank you so much for the invitation. This is Rural Health is the official podcast of the California State Rural Health Association and is made possible by the generosity of our members. Our producer is Noelia Sanchez at Noteworthy Lab. To learn more about the CSRHA or to become a member, visit us at csrha.org. If you have a suggestion for a future guest or topic for the show, email us at podcast at csrj.org. To make sure you don't miss any future episodes, please be sure to like and subscribe to our podcast and to follow us on Twitter at CSRHA Podcast. Thank you so much for your continued support of the California State Rural Health Association. This is Rural Health. It's copyright 2021 by the California State Rural Health Association. To find out more about the CSRHA, visit us at csrha.org.